Hello everyone, welcome to Junior Doctors Corner. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. So Simon, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on Junior Doctors Corner today. Um, so uh, to start off, can you please tell our um, listeners a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, as you'll quickly pick up on my accent, I'm, I'm not from Australia. So um, I'm from Scotland and originally from Edinburgh. And um, so I did all my medical training there. I went to University of Dundee for medical school, and prior to that, I studied English. Um, And then in 2012, after my first couple of junior doctor years, my foundation years in Edinburgh, then I I moved to Australia um, with my wife and my daughter, who was seven months old at that time. And uh, we moved to Adelaide initially. And I was working in emergency in Adelaide. I actually joined the, the training program for Australian College of Emergency Medicine. And then, then I suppose just as our yeah, like family's journey developed in Australia, we decided we wanted to live somewhere a bit smaller and uh, with warmer winters. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we decided to move up to the Sunshine Coast. And um, yeah, around that, well, at that time, I actually jumped ship from emergency medicine into psychiatry. Mm. Um, yeah, I suppose it you know, really is part of the story as well of uh, um, yeah, finding myself in medicine, finding what, what suited me and lifestyle-wise what suited me. And I was starting to find the shift work in emergency um, really taxing, especially, you know, with a young child at home and, uh, you know, no family support. Um, yeah, and then I happened to do a three-month emergency uh, psychiatry rotation in the emergency department and mm-hmm. um, really enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, so I'm now working as a psychiatry registrar. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing that for about four years now. So I'm working primarily um, this year in the private sector for mm-hmm. Uniting Care Health. And mm-hmm. um, I still do sit on calls in, in the public sector down the road at Queensland Health. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, uh, sounds like you've had a very interesting journey, and uh, I, even though I've never been to Scotland, I must agree that the weather here is very yeah. nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so it sounds like um, overall psychiatry really um, worked uh, for you, especially with sp- supporting the kind of lifestyle and the, um, the family that you have. Was there um, anything else specifically about psychiatry that drew you to it? Yeah, listen, I mean, when I worked in emergency, um, you know, and I had really, you know, through sort of medical school, I thought I was going to work in sort of an acute or, you know, emergency specialty and all my sort of electives and, um, you know, student selected components were geared towards that. And uh, I really did enjoy it. I enjoyed a lot of the, you know, the, the, the acute stuff and the exciting stuff and, uh, you know, some of the adrenaline rush that you could get in an emergency. But anyone who's worked there knows that's um, not something that happens every day. Mm-hmm. And um, I suppose one of the things I started finding more and more was, you know, I'd be 
you know, three o'clock in the morning and maybe be, um, you know, sort of, um, you know, uh, running the sort of the acute cubicles outside of recess and I'd, I'd get maybe, you know, a 45-year-old executive in with chest pain who was, you know, overweight, who was smoking, who was drinking too much, who found it really hard to control his diabetes. And uh, I, I started finding it really confronting about what were the barriers to people managing, um, you know, physical, uh, you know, the physical health issues. And so I just started kind of thinking this more and more. It started, mm. you know, probably becoming a bit of a bugbear of mine. And it's an emergency medicine. You, you just don't really have the luxury to do that. I and mean, then you, you see the patient, you treat them, and mm. you, you know, we're under big time pressure to move them on their way. So, you know, as I was reflecting on myself, you know, I, I felt like what a lot, a lot of what I was seeing were people's health anxiety and mm. um, people's struggles with work-life balance and um, people's struggle with stress um, mm-hmm. and then really ultimately you know we saw such a huge proportion of the population with um, mental illness yeah. and you know either mental ill health contributing to physical problems or uh, people starting to obviously treat symptoms of mental illness with uh, various substances so um yeah, I think it was this sort of, you know, deeper level thinking about the motivations for people attending an emergency unit in a massive university hospital with, mm. um, you know, in, in, really well-educated, intelligent people. You know, I thought, you know, what's going on here in society that this is um, why, obviously not everyone, but a lot of people end up in an emergency department. So, yeah, um, and as I said, there was an emergency um mental health team within that particular hospital that I worked with and I worked with um, a couple of really inspiring psychiatrists there mm. who, um, um, you know, it was part of my marriage medicine training mm-hmm. um, and one of them is Professor Michael Bajent who mm-hmm. um, he was on the, the board of Beyond Blue and I mean he's actually um, yeah, there's been a paper written by him and his wife just in the last few days and published in the NGA about causes of junior doctor burnout and I'll, I'll come on to that more. Mm. Yeah, so so you've mentioned um, sort of you notice people struggling with work life balance, and mm. now that you've mentioned sort of uh, junior doctors' sort of well being and struggle with um, balancing their workload, I understand you're in the process of gathering data and building an app currently. Can you please tell us a bit more about this app you're creating for doctors? Yeah, sure. So, um, um, about uh, a year and a half ago, um, my wife was diagnosed with um, advanced breast cancer, so stage 3B breast cancer. And um, my my daughter, she was four years old at the time. My son was eight months old. And this through just obviously through a massive um, bunch of fireworks into our life. We were just completely shocked. There was no family history. Um, she was only 36 when she was diagnosed. And um, for various reasons, the kind of quite clear-cut reasons, I had to take six months off work just to look after her. Mm-hmm. She started going through treatment and look after the kids. Um, you know, so she immediately went into chemo, was having um, 
Kimberly called it, but essentially if a rapid cycle of chemo, so every two months, every two weeks she was getting chemo, mm-hmm. and then she had a double mastectomy, and then five weeks of radiotherapy, and then a nephrectomy as well. Mm-hmm. And and actually when I stood back from medicine to to look after my family, I just had this, um, you know, there was all this awful stress and kind of trauma and away going at home, all these big existential questions that threw up for us. But um, I had the sense of being much more, you know, to use an in-vogue term, but much more kind of in-flow, being at home and, and looking after you know, my family. And it was really confusing to me because um, I just had this strong sense of um, I did not want to be at work at that time. I didn't feel that I could work properly. I didn't feel that I'd be a particularly sort of on-the-ball clinician. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was confusing to me because I didn't have any sort of symptoms of, of depression or, or, or um, I was probably a bit anxious, but you know, nothing that would qualify as a DSM diagnosis. Um, and I started seeing seeing a psychologist at that time, and this was purely kind of it was a very pragmatic decision. And um, you know, we were just aware that our family you know, a huge amounts of pressure, again, kind of family around, and I thought it would be kind of a wise thing just to for me to have a kind of an outlet to speak to someone. And as it chatted more with my psychologist, and I, I ended up coming back to to work and discussing work, although I wasn't physically there, and. Um, you know, she said to me, it sounds like you were really burnt out from work. Um, and, you know, it's kind of ironic as a psychiatry registrar, I hadn't really thought about sort of, you know, the mm. concept of burnout much. Because, yeah. you know, it's not a, it's not a clinical diagnosis that we, that we make in medicine. It's in terms of standard about serving the common vernacular and, you know, something that we use in medicine as well. Um, but I started thinking more and more about that. It, it made more and more sense. So, I mean, the three, the three sort of key parts of burnout are um, reduced sense of accomplishment, mm. emotional exhaustion, and depersonalization. And so the depersonalization is in terms of starting to have reduced uh, feelings of empathy for patients and colleagues as well. And again, that was also confusing to me because you know, actually, I actually really liked my patients, I really enjoyed mental health, I really enjoyed my, my colleagues, but there was this very sort of increasing irritability and tiredness that I was developing. After that, um, I started working at the Medical Journal of Australia, and I was actually one of the deputy medical editors there for 10 months, mm-hmm. and that was really a job of, you know, convenience, so I could do that while I was working from home, working remotely, and we started receiving more manuscripts across our desk about these issues of burnout in the profession, uh, and all, all the things that contribute to this, the bullying, harassment, working hours, and... Um, and it was also in the time where there was a, sort of quite a space of suicide amongst uh, doctors in, yes. in Australia, or at least yep. publicised ones. Mm. So, um, you know, I really love the families of, um, you know, Chloe Abbott in, in New South Wales and mm. Andrew Bryant and these were people who, you know, families that spoke up and said, you know, we could see that medicine was getting to them, we could see that they were becoming um, more and more stressed. Um, 
and again, can't blame it all on, on medicine or the system, but it starts to become more aware that this is a big problem. Mm. Yeah, and then sadly in August last year, one of my uh, graduating medical school colleagues back in Scotland was found dead um, in a hospital in an operating theatre changing room late at night. And I think for me that, that image just really summed up what was wrong that um, you know a, a very bright anaesthetics registrar mm. um you know is that that level of despair that they you know they feel that alone that they mm. you know take their life so i started to think about you know what are actual you know realistic interventions that, that, that we can do so you know, we have improved our working hours a lot over the past you know, 10 to 20 years. The yep. senior doctors will always remind us, but mm. um, for some reason, we don't, doesn't appear to either we're having a correspondingly corresponding improvement in, in well-being or a corresponding reduction in physician suicide. Um, you know, the Queens and Health Resilience on the Run program is, you know, it's such a fantastic initiative and it's so great to see people doing something, but you know, I've also heard stories of, you know, it's difficult for interns to get to two consecutive hours off the ward to attend one of these face-to-face programs. Mm. So, um, you know, I'm not a big tech head myself, but I thought, you know, well, apps are all the in thing. We all have a smartphone on us. I wonder if I can design an app within this space. So um, it's still early days. But I mean, really the essence of this app is to try and help doctors identify when stress is becoming chronic. Um, mm-hmm when they're starting to exhibit symptoms of burnout and when that may sort of tip over into, you know, a, a you know, full-blown mental illness. It, it's also to really just open up the conversation around this a bit more. You know, I, th- I think we are starting to do that. But mm-hmm. um, I want it to be great if something was on everyone's phone that they could see that colleagues locally, nationally, even internationally are, mm-hmm. are becoming more and more aware of the issues contributing to this and that we can provide some collegial support for one another because you know we've, we've not been a great profession for that due to the competitive nature of of the people who go into it and the system mm-hmm. and um yeah and finally i want to really be able to help people track when well-being is dropping or when stress is rising so if you can see that six months ago your well-being was you know a subjectively rated eight out of ten and that's not a three out of ten Something's happened. Mm. Um, something's changed in someone's quality of life, and and I also believe that looking at well-being is incredibly important for us. And I've, I've learned a lot in the research I've been doing looking at other sectors, and it's becoming very well recognised in other sectors out with health that mar- markers of well-being within a workforce are incredibly important for productivity, efficiency, and in medicine for, mm. for safety. You know, doctors who are burnt out, mm. they have low levels of well-being, they, they're not as safe for patients, and that's a really, really clear fact for me. Mm. Well, so that's quite a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'm really sorry to hear of, um, you know, your wife who went through all that um, with the diagnosis of the breast cancer and must have been a really yeah. difficult time for you and your family. Um, and, you know, everyone um, has something that goes on in their life. And unfortunately, yeah. medicine sometimes can be a bit unforgiving, um, you know, forgetting yeah. that we're also humans as well. Um, yeah. So in terms of the app itself, I know you mentioned that it will sort of track um, our um, well-being if we put in the the data into the app um, but mm. what 
um, can you please talk us through the more like practical aspects of it? Like give us an example of, take us through what the app actually does. Yeah, okay. So there are really three, three components there. Uh, um, a measure, connect, and reflect sections. Um, so the measure section will um, offer people, it's obviously never going to be obligatory, but it will offer uh, to people that would be sort of a daily pop-up on your phone, and it will ask people if they've worked that day. Mm-hmm. And then for people to subjectively rate their level of stress that day, mm-hmm. and their level of well-being that day, um, their satisfaction with interprofessional relationships and satisfaction with um, relationships with patients. And because both of those relationship questions are quite a good proxy for for experiencing stress in a job as well. Mm. Um, the other thing that I think is really important to start measuring or getting some kind of a hold on is hours worked and fatigue. Mm. Um, you know, at the moment, medical administrators or colleges or, you know, unions, they are, um, they have an incentive for us to know how much we work, but we also know that as junior doctors, it, we're probably disincentivized from saying how much we work because of, you know, claims that that will result on in overtime. So um, this would be a way for people to monitor their rostered hours versus their actual hours worked and mm. whether they're able to take breaks during the course of that shift. Yep. So it really just starts to give a nice big bank of data both to the individual user and so that they can see, wow, you know, for the last three months mm. I've persistently worked, you know, 10% overtime without claiming for it and I only am able to take roster breaks on half of my shifts. Mm. Um, you know, that is a real real sign of, of concern in, in my eyes. And mm. um, so that'll be the first part of it. So we'll allow users to kind of collect that data and it'll automatically, um, you know, graph it for them. Um, the connect section will be, uh, I'm probably going to sort of develop it more into professional networking type um, uh, uh, sort of platform. Mm-hmm. And this is one to give people a really sort of practical way of networking around the country. So, you know, if you're a, you know, a resident in Brisbane and you want to find out about cardiology training in Perth, you can easily kind of you know, start talking to trainees there or, or consultants in the department. Mm. So it's kind of a practical thing because we don't have anything in medicine in Australia like that. Mm-hmm. But the other part is, like, as I said, just to open up the conversation. So, yep. um, you know, if, if you find that, you know, half your department being, say, a bunch of registrars leave from your department, which uh, speak from, you know, personal uh, experience at the moment. Um, is that normal? Is that normal this time of year? Is that normal within your specialty? Yeah. Is that normal within your state or your health service? Yeah. Everything is so siloed at the moment. It's really hard to get yeah. our hands on finding what is normal or not. Yeah. And then the last section, the reflect section, will be some evidence-based interventions to try and help doctors manage the personal aspects of well-being. Yeah. But, I mean, that comes with a massive caveat that that's just the personal management of it. And this is obviously much bigger than a doctor's own in, you know, individual ability to manage well-being. Yeah. So that's, that's basically out of it as it's you know, being developed at the moment. That sounds really great. It sounds like you're going to be uh, – what will come hopefully come from this app is a very huge community or a support group. And um, it will – it should hopefully minimise – um, the sense of the feeling of isolation that we get 
Um, you know, yeah. when we work, especially in certain areas, it's more inherent in, you know, s- certain specialties and others. Yeah. And this is, the, you know, this is one of the big issues I'm wanting to start working on is, you know, healthcare culture or medical culture. It's a really massive um you know, concept, a very abstract concept, but part of the issue with medicine is that the culture normalizes feelings of chronic stress and burnout at the moment. So, I mean, you're, you're kind of used to seeing colleagues who are looking at miserable or who are, you know, not enjoying um, certain aspects of their work or maybe, you know, interact with patients in a certain way. We're able to kind of rationalize it because that's what happens with mm. our profession. And I think that's one of the really dangerous things about the, the culture as it stands at the moment is it normalizes a lot of these uh, mm. negative feelings and experiences. And I want to say, okay, it is normal to feel burnt out. It's mm. normal to be anxious working in the current system. Mm. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the current system is right and that it needs to stay this way. So we need to start thinking about the longer term, over the next 5, 10, 15 years, how do we start changing the actual culture within medicine? Mm, because it has to be sustainable. I mean, you know, the um, demand for healthcare is just going to increase, especially in Australia. Absolutely. We're an aging population. So we just yeah. have to come up with a way where we're not getting doctors dropping out or dropping dead <laughs> in the long run. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it's getting more complicated, the delivery of healthcare. So it's about moving forward with our eyes open and realistically that things are not going to. Yeah, we're not all going to suddenly be able to work a nine-to-five job for the rest of our life or, you know, that's not going to happen in medicine, but how do we realistically move forward? So what advice would you give if you came across a colleague, a fellow doctor who is struggling with their workload and struggling with looking after themselves at the same time? Yeah, listen, that's a really good question. And I, I think, I think you know, probably a lot changes between, you know, like an intern or PGY2 or PGY3. Mm. And then I'm, I mean, I, I graduated in 2010. So mm. I'm sort of coming up to my ninth year of being a doctor. And, and it already feels incredibly different for me now compared to five years ago, looking at how I would handle um uh, negative, you know, feelings or experiences at work. So, I mean, I think the first thing I would do is to really reassure a colleague that I'm not surprised that they're having, you know, feelings of definitely stress or burnout and and to make it really clear that these are risk factors are developing, you know, mood disorders as well or anxiety disorders. So really to normalize that. Mm. Um, and the other thing, you know, I'd, I'd be very happy now, you know, at this stage in my career and development, what I know about it, you know, to share some of my own experience. And, and looking back, you know, I was incredibly stressed during my uh, well, foundation year, it's called mm. in Scotland, during my F1 and F2 years. But mm. it was just, um, I wasn't aware of how stressed I was because, it was, again, it was so normalized. And you know, just, I remember one shift, I would, it would work Monday to Friday, and then we were on call. Uh, all day Saturday and Sunday, so it's like an 8 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. shift, so two thirteen and a half hour days. And I remember on that second day on the Sunday, I was still there at half 11 at night and then still had a full week ahead in front of me. I just remember feeling so low and so miserable and thinking, mm. you know, my God, is this, you know, is this what I've studied for nine years for through two degrees, done really well, worked really hard, very conscientious, mm. you know, is this it? So... 
I think one thing is, you know, I suppose it's just playing empathy to our colleagues. And then, and again, what I did not do so well as a, you know, as a junior doctor were these kind of self-care things. So, you know, I did, um, you know, I probably drank a lot more in my, you know, first and second years than mm-hmm. I did as a medical student looking mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I wasn't prioritizing self-care in terms of the amount of exercise and things I do. So, um, like again, I think there's kind of a bit of a twisted mentality in medicine that you just feel like any free time you do use, it needs to be used for studying or figuring what you're doing next or, you know, your training program requirements. And now at this stage in my career, I mean, I'm absolutely convinced that the best doctors and the most sustainable doctors are the ones who, you know, probably have work as, you know, maybe number three or four or five on their list of life priorities. Mm-hmm. Really, the first thing needs to be your health. Mm-hmm. The second thing needs to be your family because mm. when you look at your family without your health and, and by family that may be your partner or mm. um, you know another sort of love uh, close uh, uh, close relative um, and uh, finding enjoyment in life is really important I mean you're not going to be a good doctor if you're not enjoying your life outside of medicine because mm. our, our jobs are intrinsically stressful so I would say people prioritizing their well-being and health which is absolutely crucial and again we're probably not incentivized to do that at the moment where there is all this sort of social pressure to be um, studying for the next set of exams or mm. doing research and like it sounds like your life when you were as a junior resident or doctor was uh, quite stressful and unfortunately it is still a very common thing even though that was at least like seven eight years ago um, what was the one thing that, you know, kept you insane amongst all that craziness that was called work when you were working as a junior doctor? Listen, I mean, I did have a couple of really good friends still who weren't even necessarily in the country. I mean, my best mate, he's a, um, he's an ED doctor in the States. So, I mean, he, he was kind of a, a year ahead of me with everything. So I find it useful, you know, talking to him. Um, I then had some major life events happen during those first two years as well. Um, my, my daughter was born, we were planning on emigrating to Australia. So all these things actually, although they added stress as well, but they also added, you know, something really, you know, great for me to work towards. So, mm. you know, I became much stricter with my time at work. Like I was not going to be staying two, two hours early because I had a, you know, a baby daughter at home and, you know, a wife who maybe had slept much in the last week looking, you know, feeding and stuff. So to me, it just suddenly, like, really put things in priority for me. And looking back on Ava's diagnosis of cancer as well, I mean, what you can be doing is you can just, you can be coping because doctors are, by um, self-selection, pretty re- highly resilient and mm. they cope with a lot. And so you can be managing a lot. And then it takes one big life event, um, to you know, to give you a bit of a knock, and then you suddenly realise that you've got very little reserve. So um, I think that's a really important lesson, you know, for people as well, is that you you may be coping, like you may be, you know, eating and sleeping, getting some exercise, and turning up to work each day. But uh, it often just be that one little knock, whether it's a relationship breaking up, some illness, mm. um, an accident, uh, a legal case. And that can just be the thing that really throws you. And um, I think that's another area where we really need to look out for our colleagues and ourselves when something like that happens. Mm. So it sounds like um, mostly your main advice is to really relook at your priorities 
especially um, focusing on your own health and your um, family, yeah. people that you love, and also you yeah. know, talking to someone, have a confidant that you can sort of discuss things with. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and as part of that, and is really sort of increasing your own awareness of your own, you know, your own reactions and mm. your own uh, kind of stress points as well. And you need to really know yourself well, and that and maybe that will be you know, speaking to a psychologist for ten sessions. There's no shame in that. I think yeah. it's you know something I'd be recommending to a lot of people. So if um, one of our listeners wanted to help, you know, contribute to the building of your app. Um, you know, yeah. where can they find you? Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I'd love people's input in terms of what they would find useful for, from an app. I mean, the last thing I want to do is to produce something that's going to add either extra digital burden to people's mm. lives mm. Um, or another, you know, kind of pointless app on, on their phone. Um, and again, I'm under no delusions that this is going to solve all the issues with you know, individual burnout or the problems with the system. But it's about having a bit more of a centralised tool for us to discuss, to connect with one another and to help us increase our own uh, self-awareness. So I'd be very happy to talk with anyone. My uh, website is www.humanizedculture.com. So that's uh, just humanizedculturetogether.com. Mm-hmm. And my email address is simon at humanizedculture.com. Mm-hmm. And um, I've got sort of social media for um, with most of those channels associated with humanized culture. And so it's slowly starting to populate. Um, and another place I'm very active is on LinkedIn as well. So I think mm-hmm. it's just Dr. Simon Menelos on LinkedIn. So I really happy just to hear people's uh, opinions, what they would like. Uh, and obviously for any people that would have any back-end or coding or software development skills would be great. Mm. Um, Well, thank you so much for your time, Simon. Um, That was really, really enlightening and, you know, interesting. I'm really excited to see, um, you know, your app when when it's ready. So, um, and I will be sure to share all your links um, in the description box so that um, the listeners can find you easily. So thank you so much for your time. For more episodes, head to www.juniordoctorscorner.com.